I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello and welcome to another Mid-Atlantic. Now, before I start the show, I'd just like to remind you that Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network. Now, if you don't know, Agora is a network of like-minded, independently owned podcasts. Each month, we focus on and promote a specific podcast. And this month, it's Heather Tysko's The Renaissance History of England. So go over to Agora Podcast Network to check out that or any of its other shows, or indeed you can go to a podcatcher of your choice. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. He said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic where we look at the news and the views from one side of the ocean from the perspective of the other. To do this I'm ably joined by Rob the historian man Monaco in Connecticut and from London we have John the map Elledge from the New Statesman. Say hello gentlemen. Hey hey. Hello. I am your host Royfield Brown in San Francisco. In a week that has seen Britain's PM scurrying around Europe we will look at the Trump family's corporate takeover of the Republican Party and so much more. Thank you. Thank you very much. Friends, delegates, and fellow Americans, I humbly and gratefully accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. Who would have believed that when we started this journey on June 16th last year, we, and I say we, because we are a team, would have received almost 14 million votes, the most in the history of the Republican Party, and that the Republican Party would get 60% more votes than it received eight years ago. Who would have believed this? Who would have believed this? Donald Trump's speech to the RNC was typically huge. 
He spoke on immigration, the dark state of America, crooked Hillary Clinton, his family, the LGBTQ community, trade, and of course, crooked Hillary Clinton. Rob, how did he do? If we want to talk about it purely in terms of did he get his message across and was it well received, then he was very, very good at doing that. I I mean, he blew them away. His numbers went up. I think right now he is ahead of uh, Hillary in in terms of politicraft. Yeah, he's mastered it. Um, if we want to talk about the actual substance of it, then let's do that. I, tell tell <laughs> me what this message is. This message—it's winter is, in America, isn't it? Basically, it's <laughs> it's winter. This is this is RoboCop Detroit, like first RoboCop Detroit. That's what America is right now. The it, best, it is a, a, the best analogy well, I heard was uh, America is Gotham, and he is Bruce Wayne. He is Batman. He's going to sort it out. But he's he's older Batman. He's older, angry, uh, vigilante Batman. Uh, in in the sense of we are doomed. We we have sown the seeds of our own destruction. They have blossomed, and there's only one man who can fix it. And he even said, "I'm the only one that can do it." <laughs> Never mind my my VP. He, don't worry about him. Never mind anybody else working for me. It's me. I'm the best at fixing it. To be fair, he did then kind of mention his family a, a little bit. So it's him and his family, surely. Well, sure. And I'm sure that uh, Melania will also write uh, a backstory for him where his parents were murdered in the streets of Crime Alley and that he spotted bats <laughs> flying out of his well. And this is all very true. <laughs> <laughs> John, how did this play out from the other side of the Atlantic, watching this masterful one hour and what 50 minute long speech? This is exactly the way I answered your first question last time around, though, I think of it. But I'm mostly bloody terrified. It's just petrifying. The bit where everyone was chanting USA, USA, and he was kind of waving his hand at them. It's like fascist is overused in Internet political discourse. But it does mean slightly awkwardly that we no longer have a word we can use when people actually do start acting in a slightly fascist looking way without looking like you're massively exaggerating it. This was a rally. This was, you know, a bunch of angry people who feel the world has let them down. They feel they're getting screwed over. And Donald Trump is coming in and using the classic fascist playbook of saying somebody out there is screwing you. And I am the charismatic leader who can undo all that. And I can make it all better. And I'm going to blame somebody else for your problems. Um, and it's, it, it's quite ugly to watch. I must admit, I'd just start for the first 20 minutes. Uh, I'm not going to say I thought he was presidential, but he didn't look unpresidential to me. Rob, Trump thanked the audience for clapping in support of LGBTQ rights. Isn't this a good sign that the social conservatives are on the back foot? He's not going to kowtow to anyone who presumes to know more than him. So if, if, if any evangelical leader tells him, you know, well, if you want our respect, you're going to have to do this. It's almost there's there's something that kicks inside of him that says, don't tell me what to do. If I'm going to if you want me to do this, I'm going to do the other thing. And so I, I think that we we should feel what's the right word? Uh, take some comfort in knowing that he's probably not as socially conservative as like, say, like a George W. But there's got to be a reason behind it, though. It's It's got to be purely from some plan that that he's got it's not about conviction it's about 
well, you're going to lose that voting block probably, or then those are all taxpayers. There's got to be something there that he's not saying why he's supporting this. Uh, John, we've seen a similarly socially liberal um, utterances coming out of the Tory party, this side of the Atlantic for the last 10 years. And definitely Theresa May, who we'll come on to later in her speech, she said something kind of similar, at least her message in Birmingham was somewhat kind of inclusive. Um, can we say that uh, social liberals, both sides of the Atlantic, have actually won the day, but it's economically that may be where uh, the fight still goes on? If you'd asked me that question four or five years ago, I would definitely have said you were right, because I think across the piece, really, liberalism looked like it had won. So economic liberalism basically means, you know, it's Thatcher, Reagan, you're on your own. Um, the government is not going to step in to save you, you know, down with welfare, etc. And, you know, that's been very much the consensus. But, you know, social liberalism had triumphed as well. So we've got a more diverse society. We've got uh, you know, more rights for gay, uh, you know, equal rights for gay and trans people and so on. I really think that what's happened in the last couple of years, though, is we've started seeing a backlash against that, you know, kind of on, on, on both fronts, really. I think that a lot of the anger that we're seeing coming out in in all sorts of political movements all over the world in in trumpism in uh, the, the brexit movement here at home and you know also in support for people like marine le pen in france i suspect uh comes out of this sort of dissatisfaction with the status quo and some of that is people who feel they've been left behind economically and some of that is people who feel like they just don't like what the world is has changed into um and that second group, a lot of it is about the forces of social reaction, I think. So I guess the question is whether this is, you know, is this the last gasp of social conservatism and it's kind of in its death throes or, you know, are we going to start seeing backward steps now? Let's hopefully say that it, the death throes of kind of reactionary thinking. Um, I'm a real ray of sunshine this evening, aren't I? Well, th- th- that's your position on this. Uh, Rob, <laughs> ra- the ray of sunshine that you are. Um, yeah. America's streets are safer than any time since about the 1950s, statistically speaking. This How... is the safest time in human history. Well, I know that's what I know. I know that's what you said um, I, I... the last time we got together. Yeah, but I, by I... by any objective measure, looking at uh, fatalities, um, that's just one easy way of looking at this. Gun crime overall. Take the mass shootings to one side is massively down in the US, at least since. It's at rates which it hasn't seen since um, the 1970s anyway. If America is safer, why is it that Donald Trump can peddle such a dystopian view of America today in terms of crime? Because it's the easiest way to gain power. Th- that when you appeal to the there's us and there's them, them can be whoever throughout history. It could be the Germanic tribes. It can be the Huns. It can be the, the whoever is different is a threat. And Oceania will always be at war with Eurasia and blah, blah, blah. I think it's, it's particularly useful nowadays to gain power if you are so inclined to because the world seems smaller and and when news is broadcast for every minute of the day and a you know a bombing in a village in pakistan 
which is indicative of a broader issue in the world, it's not going to affect you if you live in a small town in West Virginia, but you can spin it so that it does. And I, and I think that's the issue here. Mm. I think that's right. I think it's, it's the availability heuristic. It's just because all these things are much more visible to us in the age of 24-hour news and social media and so on. If you think, you know, what terrible things have happened in the world recently, it's very easy to kind of come up with a list of, of, you know, a dozen of them without breaking a sweat. And for a lot of human history, that hasn't actually been true because you just wouldn't have known what was going on on in the next valley, let alone in, you know, in another continent. So I think it's just it's kind of easier to whip up that fear, despite the fact that, as as Rob says, all the evidence is that, you know, we're living in a much less violent time than almost any other. But we're also living in a time where um, economically our generation doesn't have the same financial worth for all that our parents did. So there has been some kind of dimming of economic optimism in the West anyway. Uh, John, how can the Democrats take a positive message of a sunnier future and of a sunnier present even into the Democratic uh, convention and also sell that to the American people? You're asking me to come up with a vision of a sunnier future. You know who's <laughs> that future. Go on. Fight <laughs> against your better instincts. It's, I know. I'm so depressed. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to fail to answer that question. I'm, I'm well, worried. Well, OK. About, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm going to fail to answer it in an interesting way. I am worried about, <laughs> I'm worried about this election for precisely this reason, because... There are many reasons why the UK voted to leave the European Union, but one of them is that the Remain because side... Because people would like to, primarily. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's a complicated thing. Of course, that's a big factor. But the Remain side didn't have anything sexy to offer. They were offering, like, we've got this slightly rubbish present. You can either have a slightly rubbish status quo, or, you know, we can press this button and anything could happen and your dreams could come true. And it was all nonsense. You know, it was complete lies. But if people aren't happy with the status quo and you don't have a positive vision to offer them, it can be quite hard to, to, to win an election. So one of the reasons I'm slightly concerned about Clinton Trump is because I, lo- I love the Clintons to a slightly unhealthy degree. And for ev- despite <laughs> ev- I think they're amazing. But it's really difficult to imagine Hillary Clinton coming out of a particularly impassioned vision of what the future under her presidency would look like that's going to win people over to the cause. And I think her VP pick kind of really plays into that. Well, she's gone for this guy, Tim Kaine, who's, um, you know, he's, he's a safe pair of hands. I'm sure he'd be a perfectly decent vice president. He'd be able to take over and so on. But no one's going to be turned over and, turn, and start thinking, well, I wasn't going to vote for her, but now she's got Tim Kaine. That's just not going to happen. So I'm just slightly worried that the same dynamic as we saw in the Brexit referendum is going to play out and you're going to have the establishment candidate saying steady as, the, steady as we go versus this much more exciting but much more dangerous alternative promising the earth. Um, and, you know, we have in this country recently seen what that election looks like and it doesn't end well. Rob, over to you. Surely the, the pick of Tim Kaine was so that she can pivot to the centre ground of American politics uh, which is a ground which he believes that Trump has vacated, does not care about, because all that Trump is interested in is the white vote, in inverted commas, and uh, people who are very much on the right of American politics. There has been no pivot, as far as Trump is concerned, to the middle, so Tim Kaine is going to help Hillary Clinton occupy that position. 
Yeah, I mean, he might. I mean, look, he's he's a decent guy. I, I actually don't really have a problem with him. Um, I mean, he's he has a he's he just seems like a good person. He speaks, but John he's is right. Spanish. He's not Elizabeth Warren, though, is he? It no, doesn't, but, does but, send a little you know fissure of excitement up your leg. It, it, right, I, he's not. I mean, he's he's a bowl of uh, like gazpacho soup. It's good. It's it's cold. It's like that's weird, but all good right. Good analogy, I mean, considering you speak Spanish. Ah, muchas gracias. Um, <laughs> but he, she knows that if she had chosen an Elizabeth Warren, the the diehard Bernie supporters, they're not going to vote for her anyway. She could have made Bernie Sanders VP. And they still wouldn't have voted for her. So it's a very calculated plan that it's like, screw them. They're not going to do it anyway. We might as well get somebody that somebody, the voting majority will pick. But, you know, in in terms of making this an exciting, promising future, the Democrats are really going to have to step up and start appealing to like you said, Royfield, our generation that is st- statistically worse off than our parents. And this this is obnoxious. This is troublesome. They're, they're, I mean, they're, no one is talking about uh, property values and, and renting and this whole sharing economy that is touted as this wonderful way to save money, but it really is just another way of disenfranchisement. Nobody owns anything. Nobody has the money to own anything. Things are not wonderful so for god's sakes clinton get on this (laughs) well to be fair to trump and uh, the trump corporate the trump family corporate takeover of the republican party um his daughter ivanka kind of did touch on a couple of those themes i don't know whether you saw this john whether you actually saw her speech where she introduced her father but she did say i'm i am a millennial and um i avow uh, labels like Republican and Democrat. And then she went on to talk about some level of uh, gender equality. And then in Trump's speech, he did kind of gloss over student debt as well. So um, you could read that his speech is a kind of clever triangulation of if you take all the law and order immigrant stuff out of it, and the fact that he shouted and he was red-faced all the way through it and he kept on saying Hillary Clinton if you take all that out of it and the dystopian view of America um is pretty pretty kind of leftish discuss John I did think it was interesting the way he was reaching out to to the Bernie Sanders supporters mm. like I don't know if you guys saw that earlier today he actually tweeted that you know if it weren't for those crooked democratic party rules about superdelegates then Bernie Sanders would have won the Democratic nomination, which is, you know, that's a lie. There's no way around that. That's just not true. Um, But I'm sure he knows that's not true and that this is a clever way of of reaching out to the kind of people on the left who are just angry and are never going to vote for Hillary Clinton um, and say, you know, maybe, maybe you can vote for me after all. Now, whether or not that's going to work, I don't know, because I'm not quite buying the idea that any sort of young... Uh, liberal socialist types are going to think actually you know I've, I've changed my mind Donald Trump is the guy for me I don't quite buy that but I know at the same time I know I keep coming back to the Brexit vote because you know that's basically been my, my every waking thought since June 23rd um, but I I'm did sure your wife would be happy to hear that 
<laughs> she says I've been a real pleasure to be around. <laughs> but but we did meet a guy, uh, a, a, a young guy, a student probably, who was like 21, I guess, who says he'd voted leave for left-wing reasons because he thought, like, the current the status quo isn't working on a socialist country. I think voting leave and getting out of Europe is the only way to achieve that. Um, we, we call those guys Lexiters for, you know, left-wing Brexit. It's like a sort of, we're really mangling <laughs> Wow. <now>. Um, <laughs> but I do kind of is wonder... Like is like a it, family from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Lexiters. <laughs> Yeah, and it's got the, it's got the same kind of happy ending attached as well. Um, but I mean, I, maybe maybe there is a parallel with the Lexit phenomenon in in some of the Sanders supporters. I don't know. I mean, I think it's unlikely, but I don't. Nothing would surprise me in 2016 anymore. So mm. why don't we leave it to Mr. Connecticut? Because this, this is your election. Um, why don't you have the, yes, the final the final word on this? Uh, what what are we to make of the last week in in Cleveland? Oh, cripes. It, it is... <sighs> I struggle to think about how do we teach this, seeing as how that, that's my, my profession. I, 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 I'm thinking about what, what happens when it's time to go back uh, in the fall. How do we talk about these two visions of America, where one is more or less kind of the same that you've heard in the past from the democratic side it's a vision of inclusivity where we want to try to get as many people at the table as possible et cetera et cetera et cetera, et cetera. but then you have another one that is very charismatic it is very entertaining it says everything possible but there's a lot of scary rhetoric in there and there's a very good chance that we are looking at um, <laughs> future the end where of times. It's it, it maybe yeah, maybe I and maybe not. I mean maybe it's it's like that moment when the president sits down after being inaugurated and then the doors shut and the generals are there and they go, okay, for, uh, Mr. Mr. Mrs. President, uh, we need to talk about the reality. And then they put the big book down on your desk and then they read it and they're like, oh God, everything I said is wrong. We need to change everything. And maybe it changes, maybe, but probably not. So. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> that's 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 I, all. Hmm. I don't know if I quite understood your answer to my question, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding it on, on <laughs> unbiased terms. Yeah, I don't want I don't want people to know where I lean. <laughs> gentlemen for the welcome that he has uh, given me. Uh, can I uh, say to him, he refers to uh, me as the second woman Prime Minister. I've, in my years here in this house, I've long heard the Labour Party asking what the Conservative Party does for women. Well... <laughs> After Prime Minister's question time, the Daily Mail's Quentin Letts wrote that the new PM has the ghost of Thatcher's past, pointing out to the royal blue jacket, the necklace of gobstoppers, the provincially elaborate Tory hairdo and bulletproof certitude. John, now that Britain is settling into its PM, how do things feel? We've got a measure of stability back, I think. Um, 
you know, we did we did the show two weeks ago, and I, I, I ranted about how the overwhelming feeling then was, you know, the country was in complete chaos. We didn't have a government, we didn't have an opposition, we didn't have a foreign policy. Um, now we have a government, and we're working on the foreign policies. So, you know, from a strictly is is the whole place falling apart perspective, uh, we're in a much better position. Um, and. I, I, I'm not going to enjoy this government. I'm not going to like a lot of things they they do. I think, um, like the the, the the David Cameron government was exactly what we were talking about earlier. Actually, it was it was quite socially liberal, but also uh, economically conservative, um, in that it believed in you know just complete freedom for everything, but also massively winding down the state. And it kind of feels like even though Theresa May was was a, a major figure in that government, that what she wants to do in office is kind of the exact opposite. So she's much more of, of an authoritarian in her approach to, to law and order issues and so on. I think she's quite sincere in her desire to clamp down on immigration. So that's going to that's going to be fun. Um but also, I think some of the sort of economic pledges about getting the getting the national books in order uh, are going to be sort of backed away from slightly to deal with the mess of, of Brexit. So uh, suddenly there is there is at least some talk of, of, you know, major infrastructure projects and so on going ahead, even though the markets are in turmoil, basically for Keynesian reasons, just to make sure we're, we're spending money and keeping the economy turning over while we've got the uncertainty of Brexit hanging over our heads. So even though it's got a lot of the same people in the last government, I think it's going to be quite different. Rob, we have um, a female prime minister, and I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of somewhat proud. We've got um, a first minister of Scotland who's female. You've got Merkel in Germany. Um, this feels all kind of shiny and new, or dare I say it, um, Europe kind of feels like the future in terms of the re the representation of of women in the higher echelons of, of politics. How do things look uh, from a Yanks perspective? Yeah, uh, I mean, you're the second one. I mean, and then you've had two queens, um, let alone we've, the... we've, had, we've, we've, we've had more than two queens. Oh, uh, all right. I'm sorry. Yes. What kind of historian are you? Uh, no. <laughs> Let me tell you, sir, about we've one island that likes to think. We've had a Mar we've had a couple of Marys. Well, yeah, no, come on. Rob. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Well, yeah. Oh, jeez. I forgot about that one. Mm. Uh, whatever. You know what? Let me tell you. Western civilization in high school. It, there's a reason. Well, we're going to learn about England, and we'll talk about Scotland, and then mm. that's it. That's your Western Civ. Wait, wait, wait a, minute. a minute. There's Isn't an entire... Queen Mary, as in William and Mary, the reason why Maryland is called Maryland? Oh, that... Virginia is called Virginia because of Elizabeth I. I could go on. But anyway, so you're right. I only, we've only had two queens. Get on the internet British. right now and look up Athelflaed, Lady British. of the Mersians, ruled until her death in 918. She was a feminist icon. A 10th century Anyway, Rob, go on. Fair enough. Um, yes, well, you've had a lot more time. This, this is true. But this, yes, Europe, for, for whatever reason it is, um, it, it seems that women are much more represented in politics at the, at the levels that 
are of more importance. You know, I think Americans will point, you know, well, you know, but our our selectman is 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 a woman. So I guess she's a select woman. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that progressive? And you're like, yeah, but the town only has 7,000 people in it. That's, well, that's, yes, very impressive. Wonderful. There are the women that... In the, in the much more visible positions, we are lacking strongly. And I don't are you, are know you gonna, why that is. Are you going to put this right in November? Is America going to put this right in November? I, I really don't think so. I, I, I think that for whatever purpose that it is, is that I don't... I know most Americans would say, well, it's not that I, I it's, it's the fact that she's a Clinton. I mean, I would vote for a woman for president, of course, but but she's a Clinton and that's why I can't. She's she's crooked Hillary. And, and that's where you're buying into this. Our old social traditions of, you know, I hate to use the word the patriarchy, the, this this notion that, you know, father knows best um, that truthfully, when it comes down to it. That Americans, I'm going to say, probably feel more comfortable having a, a man as as president, especially one who's who's an orange blowhard. Mm. Um, talking about uh, British stroke English queens, I forgot about Queen Anne as well. She reigned, she ruled in her own right as well. Yes, anyway. yes, and Mary, Queen of the Scots, I guess Actually, she was there. Was and... In the 12th century, there's Boudicca. Like we've, we've been doing. Yes. This. Yes, and my and yes, and my people, my people, my ancestors. We showed you what we what we thought of that. Although they did I, a very nasty way, though. I think it's so. worth noting that while while we're like congratulating ourselves on 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 British history here, um, the Labour Party again has just failed to to put a, a woman on the ballot for its leadership. Um, but, and and the the guy they chose instead is the challenger to Jeremy Corbyn. Instead of choosing Angela Eagle, who's uh, who's you know a northern working class gay woman. Um, they chose Owen Smith, who is, I don't know who Owen Smith is. Nobody knows who Owen Smith is. Owen Smith has arrived out of nowhere. And the only reason he's on the ballot is because clearly the Parliamentary Labour Party, if push comes to shove, they will always pick a man over a woman. And that's immensely depressing. So maybe we shouldn't be quite so smug. Was this the Parliamentary Labour Party at the behest of the trade unions? Was it the trade unions that were... Um, worried about Eagle because she was gay. I don't, I, I've not heard anything to suggest that. I think it's. I, I mean, the, the the thing Rob said a minute ago about people sort of convincing themselves that, that their problem with Hillary is not that she's a woman; it's that she's whatever. I think the same sort of thing goes on. I think there's a lot of people who don't want to vote for a woman, but who don't tell themselves that they don't want to vote for a woman. So it might be because Andrew Eagle has been in Parliament for quite a long time and she's always been a Labour loyalist. So she voted for the Iraq war. Um, so a lot of them are probably saying, well, we can't have, we can't put someone on the ballot who voted the Iraq war. Um, and, you know, there'll be other similar reasons like that. But it is getting a bit weird that our main left-wing party has has almost never elected a woman to any senior office it's always gone from a man i think once Harry, harriet harman was de- elected deputy leader i think that's literally the only time a woman has run an inter- has, has won an internal labor party election and you know this party's been around for 100 years and it's theoretically left wing and that's a bit disturbing mm. 
Didn't Margaret Beckett hold some interim post at some point? Uh, this, is, this is what I said when my, when my colleague Stephen, made, uh, Stephen Bush made this point to me. And he pointed out that Margaret Beckett, she did it as an interim post mm. um, when someone else left the role. I think because of the death of John Smith, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, and when she stood to be re-elected to a job she'd literally already been doing, she lost to a man. Goodness. Yeah. So there we go. Back to Theresa May. Um John, how is she going to balance the needs of the City of London and those anti-immigrant areas of left-behind Britain in her tenure as PM? Isn't that the main challenge? The next few years are going to be dominated by our relationship with Europe, which was, I mean, this for me was always one of the best reasons for voting remains. If you hate Europe and you will never stop talking about Europe all the time, vote to stay in the European Union or it's going to take over our lives. Uh, but, you know, here we are. Um, and you, this is the main tension because there are two competing visions of Brexit out there. There's the one that says, you know, we want full control of our borders. We want to crunch down on immigration. Um, and, you know, if that if that has an economic impact, then so what? And there's the other one that says we want to be open to the world. The, the EU has been throttling us. We want to be we want to be open to everyone. Um, and, and that's a much more open vision. That's the sort of version of Brexit favoured by a lot of the kind of um, the banks and so on, who are now worried about, well, if we get a settlement where we leave the single market and we lose free movement of people, we also lose a thing called passporting, which enables them to operate from London across the European Union. That's going to kill one of our major economies, uh, major sectors of our economy. So we're kind of trying to, the government's job is kind of going to be trying to find a way of balancing those two things. So they get to say to the people who voted for Brexit, yes. We do now have some control over our borders. We are going to clamp down on immigration, but without accidentally killing the British economy and taking us back to the 1870s or something. Um, the front of today's uh, it's Sunday, as we record this, the front of today's Observer newspaper um, had a plausible vision for what that could look like, where basically we leave the EU, stay in the single market, but get an emergency break on free movement of people that lasts for seven years. Um, so we would still have access to the single market, but we would temporarily be able to say, you know, there's, we're, we're, we're reducing immigration. Um, it didn't mention the passporting thing, which is one one concern. Um, another, of course, is whether the, the other 27 members of the European Union have to sign off on this. And it's not entirely clear they would. But for the first time, I could kind of see a version of what Brexit looks like that isn't going to instantly piss off half of the people who voted for it so maybe maybe that's the road we're going to go down rob from connecticut britain's broken voted for brexit we've got a new shiny pm the world is still spinning it wasn't a big deal at all was it i think people were fascinated by the neologism that is brexit and they had a little romance with that for about a week or so um we had a good laugh when we saw the pound fall um i'm still not laughing oh i figured you guys aren't but we're you know we're like hey look at that now how does it feel when we tried to go over there and it's wait how much am i getting for one dollar got me what i got like a like a quarter of a pound Okay, but the truth is, is that once all of that's set away, I think people are forgetting it. Theresa May has not really appeared on, you know, the the mainstream news here. Um, I I saw I had to kind of go out of my way to to read 
up on her um, and, and had a good laugh as uh, I think it was the Telegraph describing uh, Boris Johnson's appointment as foreign minister as as a teacher putting the naughtiest children in the front of the room where you can see them best. That that made <laughs> me smile because um, <laughs> it's true. Um, I think that we're the people who care about Britain and, and have an, a connection there um, are, are very curious to see what happens next that, that there's a worry that this could be uh our very near future um and, and there's a, there's sort of a, a sadness there that if it does fall apart well it could have been prevented the people that i talk to at least they're they're happy that it's sort of like oh well they they chose somebody that you know how come they can choose another woman as a prime minister and we can't get, even get somebody who's vice president in this country I mean, when you talk about this immigration stuff, the student visas, the, the crime, the, the social issues, it's what the heck is this our very near future? Because we're going to do it a lot different. I'll, I'll tell you that. John, I, I must admit, I quite like Theresa May, and I don't think I'm the only lefty um, that's kind of saying this. You know, If a woman can say that She's going to fight burning injustice. If you're born poor, you will, you know, you die on average nine years earlier than others. If you're black, you're treated more harshly by the criminal justice system than if you are white. If you are a white working class boy, you're less likely to go in in Britain anyway, less likely to go to university than any other person. I kind of like this. Is there a bit of a lefty loving with uh, Theresa May right now? No, no, definitely not. No. Oh, it's just me. It's just you. It's just me. It's you, okay. Uh, it was, I mean, you're right. That speech had a lot of the right noises in it, but words are easy, you know? Um, there was a story this week. One of one of the things the last, the coalition government did was to end the, children, the detention of children in uh, immigration removal centers. The Theresa May government has quietly decided it's going to go back on that. So we're going to be locking up immigrant kids again. Um, she's not a liberal. She may have said these things, but she's not a liberal. One of the things that she was... Okay, the re, a big reason I don't like her is because for much of the last few years, I was an education journalist. Theresa May as Home Secretary massively clamped down on international students, um, like making life very, very difficult for, for both the students themselves and the universities that, that were taking them because like a big part of her job was to get the immigration fees down and she couldn't touch European migration because we're in the EU. She couldn't touch illegal immigration pretty much by definition. It's hard. One of the things you can touch, though, is is student mobility. So even though these are you know rich kids coming to build links with Britain and spend money here, and it's a massive boom for both our universities and our sort of soft power around the world. And you know, it's a major British export industry. Theresa May did everything she could to throttle it. Presumably, I assume, because one day she knew she was going to run for Tory leader. And this is the kind of thing that will impress the membership of the Tory party who are going to give someone the job. Um, so I'm just not buying this idea. Yeah, she made a big inclusive speech. But Margaret Thatcher did that. And, and look what happened for the next 11 years there. All that said, I think something good to be said about Theresa May is that she is very clearly a grown up and we kind of need one of those right now. Like she's not like the problem with a lot of the prominent politicians of the last few years, like like Boris Johnson or Michael Gove or even David Cameron to a certain extent, is you kind of get this feeling that you're looking at 
people from a, a student news uh, a student debating society who've got a bit above themselves <laughs> like someone i can't remember who did, said this but someone described brexit as as you know because because michael gove and, and boris johnson were both uh, journalists someone described brexit as a column that went wrong um i kind of think there was <laughs> but you know these these guys were basically kids who somehow ended up doing grown-up jobs with theresa may like she's she is genuinely impressive. She's uh, she's strong. She's there a is a lefty loving. I knew you were going to agree. Uh, <laughs> I think I hate everything she stands for, but she's not someone I'm going to be ashamed to have representing Britain on the world stage because she looks like she's plausible as for, uh, as the leader of a country in a way I never quite felt. So David you started Cameron. off by disagreeing with me and then eloquently have ended up agreeing with me. I'm, Sounds like a crush. I'm not. Ju- <laughs> I'm not getting involved in your weird Theresa May crush. That's what are you doing? <laughs> Basically, I'm just using this to neg David Cameron, who I always thought was a national embarrassment. So, and you know. planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. (laughs) Having seen the way his career ended, I kind of think I had a point. Cool. All right. Gentlemen, I think um, on yesterday, I was going to say on Friday, on yesterday when I sent an email, I said we'd do is 2016, just the worst year ever. Um, but I don't, don't want to end on that kind of negativity. Hey, and Royfield, quite frankly, I mean, the Olympics haven't started yet. You know, we may want to revisit that <laughs> when, a, you know, when a dead body washes up during the women's <laughs> volleyball match. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm changing it. Everyone is Netflixing and chilling, box setting and podcast listening. When was the last time that you switched on the TV and had no idea what was going to come on? Over to you in Connecticut, Mr. Monaco. Uh, I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. I, cu- I cut the cord. When you I, I, the news recently. That's go. right. That, that, oh, good answer. Yes. Although, to an extent, when no. you leave the news on long enough, it just repeats after a while and you're like oh god either i'm i'm forgetting things or it's just the same stuff or it's a deja vu moment or we're stuck in the matrix and there's a glitch 
oh god yeah there's no spontaneity anymore i decide everything i'm the god of my own world uh john taking the news out of it when was the last time you just said i'm gonna switch on the telly i had no idea what was going to be thrown at you uh well we have a recurring argument in this house where like sarah's making dinner and she tells me to find something to to watch and i find something to watch and she says no not that something else um <laughs> we occasionally try that like basically when, when we haven't got a good boxer on the go we have a lot more fights um so it's much it's much easier just to kind of commit to something because that kind of takes all the decision making out of the equation and you know most tv's crap so but wait a minute isn't that the point of tv to take the decision making out of it you just switch it on and whatever comes on at eight thirty comes on at eight thirty. that's taking the decision making out, out of it for you yeah, but then you have to watch like Antiques Roadshow or, you know, all celebrity <laughs> or a pet or whatever the hell it is. Um, that's, not, that's not fun. That's not what you want to do in your spare time. Like, there's all this, there's all these sort of great works of, of televisual art out there, just which are really more easily accessible than ever before in human history. Then, you know, it's just a matter of finding one of them on Netflix. Uh, the last golden age of TV was the Victorian age, surely. Surely, Rob. Oh, yes, surely. We should have pantomime and shadow puppets and Punch and, <laughs> and Judy and off with their heads. Sorry, yes. John. We've established he knows nothing about history, so, you know. I, I, we, we've established <laughs> that I, I care nothing for for that particular history. Ah, yes, well. That's true, actually. Another strong uh, English queen, uh, Matilda. I know she wasn't actually crowned as queen, but uh, she... She's kind of queen, yeah. 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 Yeah, well, great. We, we can keep reeling, reeling them off here. No, 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 no. Britain likes to think that that just because that they once owned most of the world that we are required when we talk about history that, well, if you don't know British history, what, what kind of history do you know? You guys need to relax once in a while. That's what I say. Here, here. Here, here. Hmm. Why are we not? Talk- we should be talking more about about more important countries like Italy, and and we could be talking about Catherine uh, Sforza, for example. You know, amazing, amazing woman who can control entire business dynasties and and such like that. And we're not going to, are we? No, no. All right. Well, that's some that. medieval minor um, Italian um, <laughs> noble family. We're not going to talk about the Sforza <laughs> family from Milan. No, we're not going to talk about them. Anyway. <laughs> Um, have we have we done TV? Is that it? Um, I don't think we got very far. <laughs> I tell you, it, it, I don't think we said anything particularly profound. Well, I suppose we're just somewhat kind of stating the obvious. But I did, I I did actually watch the uh, RNC on MSNBC and found it somewhat refreshing in that things happened like like adverts. And um, it's a long time since I've sat down and actually watched adverts. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah, the only reason why I watch uh, broadcast television it is for sport. I don't even watch it for news anymore. Uh, but it, but it does go to the problem of, of the echo chamber that we are not. Whether well, either side of the Atlantic, we are not sitting down and and watching um, what our contemporaries are watching unless they think like us it's as simple as that so um it's that i've actually Go. i've actually got a good answer um there was a there's a there's a bbc crime drama called line of duty which mm-hmm. is uh, amazing if you've never seen it but that's uh, one of those things that trades on proper sort of 
cliffhangers and unexpected twists and so on. So it's the only thing I've watched in like three, three or four the years. Unexpected, when... expected twist, you mean? Yeah, but also where we insisted on watching it live or like if we've been out, we come home and watch it as soon as we got in, even if it meant we went to bed at two o'clock in the morning, just because you knew if you went on the Internet the next day, it was going to be spoiled for you. So there there are still there are still a few things out there that are worth watching in that kind of, you know, we sit down together as a nation and um, watch them live kind of way. Yeah. Oh. You know, truthfully, yeah. And after after next year, well, I mean, once Game of Thrones is over next year, I, I, I honestly don't know uh, if there'll be another show that it's well, OK. Once a week, we will sit down and watch this right when it airs, because, yeah, like we you're going to get it spoiled by the next day. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I can't think of another show. Walking Dead. That's I still, used still to got a read bit of legs books, but yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. Sorry, I know, I know this is not what we're meant to be talking about, but is next season of Game of Thrones going to be the last one then? I could have sworn. I that think it, it was. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought they said they were going to do two more. Right. You've, you've worried me now. I'm sat frantically doing <laughs> Right. I can see you here. You've furiously typing away there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't just saying that. I genuinely am. Right. Whilst, whilst you type away, um, let's do uh, takeaways of the week. Takeaways of the week. Mr. Monaco, over to you in Connecticut. What do you have? Uh, I will end on a, uh, we'll do a little more like a, like a happier, like refresher moment. I just finished up a a graphic novel series called Fables. Uh, I think there were like 22 of the books in there. It's like, uh, if all of the characters from our stories were real and they lived in New York and how did they manage it? Actually, it was very, very well written, learned about all sorts of characters from, European history and, and all of this stuff that I didn't know existed. Very, very well done. Uh, very, very good book. Who publishes it? Uh, it's, I want to say Vertigo, so it's DC. Mm-hmm. Boo to DC. But no, yeah. Vert- Vertigo is quite good, though, to be fair. Oh, to be oh fair. yeah. No, the rest of it is, forget about it. Mm. Uh, Mr. Elledge. Uh, I have been failing to find a new series to get really into recently and so I've gone back to something uh, from the past I'm rewatching the wire uh, which is it, it it's it's I find it really difficult to talk about the wire because you do instantly sound like a cliche saying no no it's just so much better than anything else on television and you sound like a terrible <laughs> um but the problem is that is literally true it is genuinely so much better than basically anything else there has ever been on television ever so the first season is now it's nearly 15 years old but except for the fact the technology's moved on a bit it really feels incredibly fresh and contemporary and you know all the a lot of it's about you know the relationship between um the u.s police and and working class black communities which is something we're still playing seeing play out far too much on on the world's news at the moment so yeah i I, I, i'm not saying anything particularly fresh here but if you've never seen it you should definitely get on that um, well, I'm going to join you, but I'm going to um, outdo you with how uh, unfresh uh, my takeaway of the week is. But big band jazz music. I So this week I've edited the election of 1948 together for my series 10 American um, elections. And it was where 
Truman Beats Dewey and famously um, the Chicago Herald Tribune prints up that Dewey beats uh, Truman and uh, there's President Truman on the, the day after the election holding it up you know, gleefully. And one of the things that I like to do when I do those 10 American shows is to have contemporaneous music and I kind of realised this when I did the FDR show but I really like big band music and Duke Ellington I think is a very I think we've, we've forgotten about him since since the, the birth of rock and roll people that kind of came before that did popular music whether it's been like your, your Glenn Millers etc Cab Calloways have kind of been forgotten and Duke Ellington is in terms of the popular consciousness has almost been forgotten but but not quite but take the A train it's just a, a lovely amazing piece of music and you just go through um, a lot of his songs and when I hear the titles I go what the hell is that like Mood Indigo uh, P- 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 Perdidio uh, Sentimental Mood but when you hear them we all know them and they're absolutely just beautiful pieces of music which just take you back to the 1930s and 40s and um, and I, I, for me it was just a reminder that there was a world of popular music before pop music really so Duke Ellington and his songs um, that's my takeaway of the week Right, so we're going to wrap things up, gents. Um, let's go back over to Connecticut. Mr. Monaco, if anybody wants to catch up with you on social media, etc., etc., wants to contact you, how can they do that? But before you tell us that, what are you up to at the moment, work-wise? Uh, I am kind of wrapping up uh, work on the next episode. It's like the transition from the Roman monarchy to their little fledgling republic. And I think it's going to end with the invasion of the Gauls. Um, and then they can uh, find updates on that. Uh, Twitter at Podcast History. Same thing over to you in London, Mr. Elledge. What are you working on at the moment? And then how can people catch up with you? Okay, well, mostly I edit a website about cities called citymetric.com, which is a part of the, the New Statesman. We do all sorts of fun things with you know, architecture and transport and maps and that Ooh, kind of thing. That does sound exciting. Um, it is exciting. It's incredibly exciting. We also have a podcast called Skylines, which is uh, produced by um, some nomad called Royfield Brown for us. Uh, but you should check that out too. Um and if you want to get in contact, I'm at John Elledge on Twitter. Uh, just whilst we're on your uh, on your work, sir, I on my Dum De Dum Archers podcast. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> that'd be inappropriate and unprofessional of me to mention the fact that I'm still owed an invoice on on this show uh, by the New Statesman Group. So I won't do that. However, what oh, I will well. say, what I will say though is that uh, the true size map I mentioned that on my Archer's Dum De Dum podcast last week and I've had about five tweets emails etc people saying um, where is the link for that and people have said it's absolutely fascinating and I even though I mentioned it on Dum De Dum as, as a great thing I didn't actually play with it before I actually mentioned it and um because I had to find the link for it I went onto your site and then found it and ha- had a good play it's a lot of fun it is it a is. lot of fun this is what I mean maps are fun but yeah the, the, the true size map enables you to kind of move countries around the world to sort of see how big they are because you know the, the standard Mercator projection warps all the sizes near the poles so it makes Greenland look massive and so on so it's quite, you, you can suddenly see that you know 
Africa is like three times the size of the United States and um, France is, is way smaller than Texas and so on. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's great to kind of push back against the sort of Eurocentric geography we've all got stuck with for the past 500 years. So, And, and I think we should turn the map upside down as well, shouldn't we? You know, let, you know, stop this north-south divide. Uh, bloody Europeans dominating everything. Bloody West. My name uh, is uh, Royfield Brown. You can catch up with me specifically on Twitter. I'm at Royfield. I'm also on Facebook if, if, if you do the Facebook thing. Um, what am I working on at the moment? Um, this. I'm going to edit this show. And at some point this week, I need to start working on my next 10 American president show. In a week that has seen Donald Trump and his family look to take over the most powerful nation in the world. We're going to say goodbye. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 